Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And I got to be honest with you, I knew that I was coming to FBC Friendswood this weekend, and so I knew I was preaching. Yeah, love the name of the church. Uh, I knew I was preaching this Sunday morning, so I brought my, my blazer because I, I thought it was going to be that kind of a party. And then and we got some people over here hooping and hollering. I was like, man, these are my folks, like getting after the Lord. So I would take this off, but then I just look frumpy, so I'm not going to do it. Those of you watching online, I'm so thrilled to be here. Those of you who are here in the room, I'm thrilled to be here. I was honored to be asked to preach to your students this weekend, and I just got to say I'm so impressed by you guys. So thank you so much for letting me be here. The future of this church is bright. Uh, and then I also just want to take a minute and honor your pastors and your leaders uh, I, I told them before I was going to do this because, yeah, one of your pastors is applauding for himself over there. Matt's like, Matt is awesome. Matt deserves a raise. Uh, so, so thankful getting to laugh with them and get to know them just a little bit. And they don't get to do this as freely as I do because I'm flying out later. So if you don't like it, then big deal. Uh, but First uh, uh, Timothy talks about how your leaders, your elders, are worthy of a double portion, especially if they teach and preach the scriptures. And so I just hope you recognize that 2020, for everybody, but especially them, I'm a pastor and I get this, it was just weird. It was hard, it was heavy. A lot of decisions that they had to make that were unpopular, um, but they had to do it. And so, Pastor, I want to honor you Pastors want to honor you. Matt want to honor you publicly and just say thank you. Haley, where are you at? I know you're, you're leading. Haley, yeah. Cool. Next time you want to write an email and, and complain about something, instead pray and write an email that says, what's up? Uh, proud to know you. Thanks for being a great, great pastor. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for letting me preach. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we were in Ephesians 2. Great time talking about freedom. Matt kind of uh, already recapped this a little bit, so I'm not going to do that. I just I'm going to say here's my starting point. We have been freed. That's what we talked about this weekend. Freed from sin, freed from the penalty of sin, freed by Jesus, freed to good works. The good news of Jesus is that we have been freed by Christ's work on the cross and his glorious resurrection. So the question this morning is, what, what should we do with this freedom? And there's a lot of things we could, we could say. We could answer it a lot of different ways. We could say, well, we should enjoy God and his creation. I would say yes and Amen. We, just, we could say, well, we should pursue holiness, which is true. We've been freed from sin. We should run to holiness. Yes and amen. We could say we should live on mission. Go, therefore, make disciples. And that's yes and amen. We, we could say we should, we should really tether ourselves to the local church, be involved. Let's be more than attenders. Let's be servants. Use our gifts. Yes and amen. But what's been on my heart when it comes to the local church, especially through this past year, is this sense that we need to return, whether in Oklahoma or in Friendswood, we need to return to the simple yet profound invitation to pray. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that because of what Jesus has done, we have this great high priest, and because of that, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I love that word confidence. That's not pointing to our confidence in ourselves. Listen, if you're anything like me, man, you, you are not awesome. Wildly unimpressive over here. That's my laugh track over there. That one wasn't funny. 
We have confidence in the one who has freed us. You and I, as the people of God, have been given the green light by the creator of the universe to draw near to him in prayer. There's one of my favorite preachers of all time. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Charles Spurgeon. He was known as the prince of preachers because he was, he was decent at it. He said this, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. And so I want to spend my life encouraging and equipping the local church to become a place and a people of prayer. And I believe this. The most important thing that the Lord, uh, or the, excuse me, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ could give herself to right now in this particular cultural moment, we're in the midst of a global pandemic where political rhetoric is at a fever pitch, where there's racial division and all sorts of violence and injustice and strife and wickedness and evil, and where we're more motivated to share our opinions online about things we know very little about than we are to share the gospel. The most important thing that the church could give herself to is prayer. The world does not need your expertise or intelligence. The world needs your humility to bow before the sovereign of the universe. So again, my hope this morning, even just a little bit, is to help us to become a praying people. And we're going to look at a fairly peculiar story in Matthew. Uh, and so I'm going to read this. If you're able, we were doing this all weekend, right? So if you're able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? If you're not able, that's okay. But for those of you who can, at home, if you're watching online, stand up. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28, the word of the Lord reads this way. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the, of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this isn't a time to do mental ascent or some sort of odd um, intellectual gymnastics or discourse or whatever we, we tend to think that this is, this is actually a time to enjoy you. So I, I pray that the preaching of your word would be beneficial and would be fruitful to stir the affections of your people so that we would see Jesus as glorious. This is about worship, God, and you are worthy of it. So, so whatever is inhibiting us in our hearts to 
give full throttle devotion to you, Lord, would you be kind to us and remove those things? And would you help us to see Jesus as glorious? Holy Spirit, would you preach a better sermon than the one that I have prepared? It's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, from time to time, my oldest daughter, she's five years old, she'll come up to me and she'll ask me to show her my muscles. And when I flex, again, not funny yet, all right? <laughs> that guy doesn't have those. When I flex, she is blown away by how big my biceps are. Pause. She'll say, wow, dad, you're really strong. And you know what? She's absolutely right. Compared to a five-year-old little girl, I'm inconquerably strong. I am absolutely massive, right? But if I were to take my jacket off and flex here before you, which I will not do under any circumstance... Do we have security, Pastor? For <laughs> and if I were to show you all of my, if I were to show all of you my biceps, I can assure you that you would be rather underwhelmed by the sight. Now, here's why I say that: what impresses a five-year-old little girl tends to be a little bit different than what impresses an adult, right? And in the same way, what tends to impress us is oftentimes very different than what impresses God. What we tend to value and elevate is sometimes the very opposite of what God himself values. And so when it comes to prayer, what impresses us many times is eloquence and big religious vernacular and the ability to string along a lot of words and sound really pretty and whatever else. But what impresses God is not the words that we say, but the heart with which we say them. God is not after your vocabulary. He is after your heart. Knowing big and impressive words may look good on a resume, but friends, God is not a CEO. He is a father. So this story in Matthew isn't necessarily a go-to passage on prayer. I get that. However, I think we see modeled in this story the heart, the heart postures excuse me, that God desires from his people in prayer. And so the first posture I want you to notice, you can write this down if you're taking notes, is a posture of dependency. A posture of dependency. Look again at verse 21 and 22. It says, Jesus went and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite, that is a non-Jewish woman from the region, came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. We see dependency here. One of the things that keeps us from praying is the belief that we don't really need Jesus all that much. What consistently keeps us from coming to Christ in times of need, though the Bible is replete with invitations for us to come to him, is the enemy's lies that we have what it takes in and of ourselves. And this can happen on a personal, individual level. This can also happen at a church level. Churches can start to think, man, we got resources, we got good staff, we got a lot of people, we got building, we got all this stuff. We're good. We just need to put together a good Facebook ad and people are going to start flocking to us. When that's not the case, what God is calling his church to do and his individual followers is to bow before him in humble dependence and seek his face. When we do that, man, we're going to see some mountains move. And I'll just speak for myself consistently. What keeps me from praying is a lack of dependency upon God in my life. This idea that I got this. But this is exactly what we see in this story. Here is this Canaanite woman 
who has found herself in a terrible situation. Her daughter was oppressed by a demon. And I just want you to imagine the pain that this woman must have felt. I have two young daughters, and I just cannot help but feel the anxiety and urgency that this woman must have felt. Like, as a parent, I'm still a rookie at parenting, but I, but I know that one, one of the things that you want to be able to do is protect your kids, right? Like, as best you can. All you really want to be able to do is keep them safe. And there's a strange thing that happens where protection just kind of becomes instinctual, especially for a daddy of two little girls. Let let me give you an example. My youngest, uh, a few weeks ago, was just kind of minding her own business. We're around some other kids. She was just minding her own business, hanging out, doing her thing, being near perfect, as my children uh, at this age are. Um, And then this other punk kid, out of nowhere comes and just shoves her down. Instinctually, I scoop up my little girl and I start to take care of her, keep her from greater harm. But the second instinct that I experienced, the impulse that came next that I had to fight off, otherwise I wouldn't be here with you this weekend, is I wanted to grab that kid and punt him as far as I possibly could. Like it just happens, right? Like parents get that. Like I just, especially, come on, my little girl? I don't want to have to fight a toddler, but I will. So I can only imagine how helpless this mom feels in this moment, seeing her little girl suffering and knowing that there's nothing she can do about it. But counterintuitively, here's what we see, that there is power in the helplessness. Here's why. Because her helplessness drove her to Jesus. It was because of her helplessness that she cried out, have mercy on me. So so listen, the reason God desires us to have a posture of dependency is because it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we come to him. The problem for most of us is not that we have underestimated our capability, it's that we've grossly overestimated our abilities and that keeps us from crying out to God. There's this quote that I love by a guy named Paul Miller. He says, the gospel... God's free gift of grace in Jesus only works when we realize we don't have it all together. Amen? He says the same is true for prayer. The very thing we're allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. We will cultivate a prayer life, a healthy, robust prayer life when we cultivate a holy dependency upon the God of the universe. That's the first posture. Here's the second posture I want you to notice. It's a posture of persistence. The Bible is filled with examples of persistence in prayer. As a matter of fact, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he gives an example of this guy who won't quit bothering his neighbor for some food because he had company coming over and he's a terrible host and he forgot to go to the grocery store. And so he just keeps going, knocking on the door. And finally, Jesus says that he got what he needed because of his impudence. And that word impudent means shameless. And so what Jesus is saying is that he was so shameless that he didn't stop asking for what he needed. And listen, this is the posture God wants us to take. This is what we see in this story. Over and over again, this woman is asking Jesus for help, and she's met with silence first. Jesus didn't say a word to her. Then she's met with resistance. The disciples said, drive her away. How humiliating must that have been? And then Jesus says in verse 26, 
It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I don't care how much you love little Fido at your house. Nobody in this room wants to be called a dog, especially by Jesus. And we'll get to why Jesus does this. But even in the midst of all of this, she persists. She keeps coming back. She doesn't quit asking. She doesn't quit pursuing. Now, here's a question. Why would this be a quality that God desires? Here's the answer, I think. Because God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Right? Persistence reveals humility. Persistence says, God, you alone have what I need. You alone can do this. You alone are all powerful and wise and good. I don't have what it takes. And so I'm going to keep coming to you and coming to you and coming to you. And I'm going to keep knocking and I'm going to keep seeking because I need you. Like what's so fascinating and tragic to me is how many Christians are willing, or excuse me, are unwilling to admit that they need help. It's like there's this weird shame around that. There's an unwillingness to ask for a gift or for a hand or for some help. Listen, if you refuse to ask for help or to take help when it's offered because you feel like you should be able to handle it, then Christianity just might not be for you. Because that's kind of the whole point. You are saved by grace, not of your works. So while we're impressed by people who are too proud to ask for help, God is impressed by people who are too humble to stop asking for help. And the posture of persistence leads to the last posture. We see a posture of dependency, a posture of persistence, and here's the last one. It's a posture of faith. There is a clear connection, my friends, between faith and prayer. Faith is essential to prayer. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists, which I feel like is a pretty reasonable ask. And that he rewards those who seek him. James 1 calls us to ask for wisdom, but says to ask in faith. James 5 tells us that it is the prayer of faith that will heal the sick person. Matthew 21, Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you ask in faith. Someone's like, faith? Are you talking about faith still? Yeah, faith. And in our story, Jesus promises this woman, or excuse me, praises this woman for her faith. Verse 28, look. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. I should be honest for a moment. Sometimes, depending on where you come from, depending on your church background or how you've been raised, these types of conversations surrounding faith can feel a little bit tricky. We can start to feel a little bit uneasy and maybe even a bit angry. Because for some of you, you might be hearing me say, if you're not receiving what you're asking for, it's just because you don't have enough faith. And you're going, no, 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 I've been praying in faith for years. How dare you, right? The point of this sermon is not to answer all of the objections. However, I think part of the reason that God calls us into a posture of faith is because God is good. Here's what I mean by that. Faith trusts God. Faith 
trusts that God's plans are better than our plans, that God's ways are higher than our ways. Faith trusts that God knows what he's doing. So I don't think that the point of the story is that if you just had big enough faith, things will happen exactly the way that you want them to. Like that's not even true in this story. This woman had faith from the jump, and yet she was met with silence, with resistance, and humiliation. And, and, and not only that, she was called a dog. Like, like this is, like she was, she was met with all of those things. Then, then I think of Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion. He prayed three times that the cup of God's wrath would pass from him. And listen, Jesus trusted God perfectly, right? There was no defect in his faith. Yet he still went to the cross because he said, not my will be done, but yours. So faith doesn't mean that you get everything you want. Faith means that you will get everything you need and that you trust that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, for his glory and for our joy. But I want us to notice what creates a posture of faith in prayer. It's not in you conjuring up enough faith. That would be works. It's in knowing the object of our faith. Notice what she says in verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. That title, son of David, ultimately means Messiah or Savior. This Canaanite woman wasn't coming to just anyone. She was coming to the Savior of the world. Her faith was not in her ability to ask in the right way. Her faith was in the sovereign God of the universe. And the reason that Jesus greets her first with silence and then says what he does about dogs was not to belittle her or demean her, but it was to show her and the disciples that what ultimately matters is not your religious pedigree, it's not your ethnicity, it's not your socioeconomic status or anything else that we think matters. What matters most is faith in Jesus. But I don't want you to miss the miracle. Because the point is not God wants you to have enough faith. That can feel discouraging and crushing, right? Because there are moments of my life where my faith is weak, friends. Anybody ever feel that? There's moments of my life where I don't feel full of faith. I feel weak. I feel faith anemic. So I'm not in here saying, have more faith. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus is God and he is worthy of whatever ounce of faith you have. Verse 28, and her daughter was healed instantly. Is that not amazing? Jesus healed her daughter instantly and from a distance. So the question, my friends, is not how strong is your faith. The question is how strong is your Christ? And the answer is there's nothing my God cannot do. I was told of a story of this young pastor who was facing some difficulty. This was years ago in his church. There was some issue that came up in his local congregation, and, and it was him and a couple of older pastors, or excuse me, a couple of older men, one guy in particular, who just kind of dealt with the situation with a lot of tact and wisdom, and he was not stressed or over-anxious or anything like that. This young pastor was sick with worry about what was going on. 
And at the end where there was resolution, when it finally all got worked out, he came to the older man who was steadfast through the entire thing. And he said, man, I just don't have as much faith as you. And the older man in wisdom said, no, 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 no. It's not that you don't have as much faith as me. It's that I have more experience with a faithful God. I think that's so wise. If we're not careful, when we talk about faith, we'll make ourselves the point. Let me free you up. You're not the point. Jesus is. You're not enough. Jesus is. Your faith is not perfect. Jesus is. You're not the hero. Jesus is. There's a revival that happened several decades ago in this place off the coast of Scotland called the Hebridean Revival. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. If not, I would commend you to research it and look it up. Uh, It's one of my favorite revival stories. And the reason that I tell you this is because my heart is for revival. Like my church, we constantly are praying for renewal and revival. We're contending with the Lord every, my church is meeting at 4 p.m. Later on, if you think about it, pray for the Well Church in Oklahoma. Uh, They're gonna be praying towards revival. We just wanna see an inbreaking of the Holy Spirit. We wanna see lives changed and addictions broken and marriages restored. We wanna see injustice uh, reversed. We wanna see all sorts of things happen that only God can do. And so we're praying for revival. And so I've just been studying revivals through the ages and consistently revivals begin when people humble themselves to pray. And so there's this story of the Hebridean revival and it started with two old women, one crippled, one blind. You and I would say unimpressive. They can't do anything in this part of the world that you and I have never even heard of. What could they do? Here's what they could do. They committed themselves to pray several days a week from 10 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. They prayed dependently, persistently, and faithfully. There was spiritual apathy on their island. There was spiritual decay. Young people were out living their lives for the world, not for Jesus. They were burdened. So they said, we're going to pray for revival. And for months and months they prayed. And then God moved. The spirit broke through and people came to faith. Repentance was happening all over the place. Marriages were restored. Addictions were broken. Salvation had greeted them. They experienced the tangible presence of God. Like, don't we want that? Like, doesn't that sound awesome? And it happened with these two old women that you and I would have been like completely suspicious of because they couldn't do anything like that. But the point is they didn't. God did. They were just faithful to pray. And so here's my question, friends. If that can happen there because of two old women faithfully praying, why not here? Why not now? Why not this church? So here's my call. Let's be a people who pray with dependency, with persistence, and with faith. Because Jesus is able. Amen.